Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Daniel Barber, CEO and co-founder of DataGrail, a modern privacy solution that brands rely on to build customer trust and transparency, and Andy Raskin, strategic narrative consultant to CEOs, helping both venture-backed and public companies align their teams around a strategic narrative. Cheers. All right. Happy Friday, everyone. My name is Gil Alush. I am the founder and CEO of Metadata. This is the Category Creator Podcast. I don't remember what episode number it is, but I have with me Andy Rasking and Daniel Barber. Uh, Daniel, maybe we start with you. Maybe you can tell us briefly about yourself and your company. Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, Gil, thank you for, for setting this up. And Andy, great to see you again. I, uh, uh, you know, as you probably can tell, I, I grew up in Australia. Um, maybe don't hold it against me uh, at this time of the day. But um, yeah, spent, spent a bunch of time there and, uh, and uh, lived in Europe for a little while, did my MBA in Japan. Um, spent time in Michigan as well, and then finally made my way to San Francisco in 2011 and uh, stumbled into a company called Responsus, which I was very fortunate to meet some great folks there. And that has sort of carried me through uh, a few journeys. Did my startup MBA at a company called ToutApp in the, uh, the sort of sales engagement base, um, and then you know, advise a couple of other folks along the way as well in, in that category. But now... Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of, of DataGrail, which is a data privacy platform integrated solution um, for modern businesses to, to build trust and ultimately do that through transparency. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll have a bit of fun. I bet. Uh, definitely not holding the Australian guest here. I think Australians are awesome. Uh, also, <laughs> I wanted to ask, where in Europe have you lived? Uh, so I was in the Netherlands, uh, north of Amsterdam, about three hours, in a town called Groningen. Uh, so I was there for a year, um, right on the border of the Netherlands and Germany, and then lived in Dusseldorf for about six months. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I spent almost two years in, in Europe and then moved back um, after school. Very cool. And uh, when, when you and I chatted uh, for, for what I thought was the first time, we realized that we had like 7 million times connections uh, <laughs> between, like, between yeah. Data Nice and, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and Olivier. And so it was really cool. Uh, it was really cool to meet and, and, and learn about that. I think the Silicon Valley is very small. Maybe even it's tech world is, is really a small place. So uh, Indeed. It's, it's cool. Uh, so nice to have you here. Thank you for joining. Andy. Indeed. Um, I remember sitting next to you when next to Gary Nakamura and Jeff Lunsford in 720 Market Street, uh, and you building the positioning and messaging for Driven, concurrent, later known as Driven. And uh, it's been a long path since. So maybe you can spend a minute or two uh, telling about your background and the, what you do today. Yeah, so I, I, I work with CEOs on strategic narrative which, uh, you know, my, my view on this is, you know, a category name is kind of like a, almost like a logo in that it's uh, the way designers call logo, like an empty vessel. It's like something that we pour meaning into. 
And I think like a category name is something we pour meaning into and, and, and we pour it into that with the, you know, with the, a story that we're going to tell about the world. And so um, I started uh, thinking about this. So I was a, a, a startup founder. I, I started as a software engineer myself. Um, uh, a friend and I had an idea for an app. This was like late '90s uh, Windows app. So <laughs> at the time, and of the two of us, I spoke English uh, fluently, and so we decided I should write the business plan. So I wrote it. I sent it to a bunch of VCs, and the reaction was really bad. And uh, one of them wrote back, "Andy, I rate every plan I get on a scale of one to ten, and yours is a one." And then in parentheses, he wrote uh, worst in case we thought maybe one might be the, the top uh, rating. In <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Amazing. And, but then he wrote uh, not a compelling story and uh, as the reason. And it was a few weeks later, I was walking by this Barnes and Noble in Manhattan and I saw this sign in the window that said, for anyone who wants to tell a compelling story. And it pointed to this, this, this stack of books that were all about screenwriting, which I knew nothing about. Um, and I read the books and... And I realized that there was this totally other different structure. Because if you think about it, like a movie is a pitch, right? For, you know, what's it a pitch for? It's a pitch for, like, what's Star Wars a pitch for? It's a pitch for, you know, trust the force, don't go to the dark side. You know, um, every movie is a pitch in a way. And the way that they structured the pitch was very different from what I had learned. And that was very interesting to me. And we basically applied it to our pitch. And long story short, we, st we got some money and... Um, I started thinking about that was, you know, I started probably thinking about it back then. Uh, a lot of things happened, including meeting you, Gil, and working with you at 720 Market uh, along the way. But yeah, that's that's what I, uh, so today I focus only on that, working with CEOs to, to craft that narrative. It's a very interesting narrative on your narrative. Thank How you. many times have you, have you told this story the way, the way you just told it? Never exactly the same, but I'm going to guess like maybe a hundred, maybe more. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. It's a great story. Uh, Have I you heard me awesome. tell it before, Gil, or or uh, you're just guessing that I've told it many times? Only the second half. I wasn't sure about it, and I was about to ding you on the on the beer. Then I realized that I remember that you were drinking an alcoholic beer, so I thought. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but you see that subtle drop Wars. there of just oh you're drinking on a careful mention. Cheers. I think that's that's great. I I hope to learn from you to tell stories like that. So I think that was great. So look, this podcast is, I hope it's different uh, because uh, it's called for the, you know, category creators. And the reason I started it is because I want to start a category like many founders. And I did not want to sit in a room with a bunch of people and argue over words and category names and taglines and a bunch of other shit that only we care about. And then we fail to actually make that happen in the market. So I'm trying to learn from smart people like you how to do it. Um, you, Daniel, you, Andy. Um, but on the path, to be honest, I've realized that just talking to people and sharing personal stories, uh, journey, founder or not, software company or not, is first of all, very therapeutic, but also you learn so much from it. So I like to start with a question, uh, and I sometimes insist, like in the previous podcast that I just did, uh, I insist on getting a real answer. So I'll start, Dan, you just muted yourself, so you just self-selected. Maybe you can start us off. Can you share from the last, doesn't matter how many, four, five, six, seven years, your biggest hashtag fail moment? And I'll, I'll, I'll crisp this because it's, sometimes it's vague. 
a moment that you fucked up and you really regretted it and said, I can't believe I just fucked up so big and you suffered from it. Of course, there was a learning afterwards, but that moment mm -hmm. where you really regretted it. Woof. Yeah, I, I have one there. Um, so uh, Tahid Kader will probably appreciate this one too. Um, TK. Yeah, TK. Uh, you know, at Taudap, our tagline for a period of time was templates, tracking, and analytics, a sales engagement platform or a sales acceleration platform, whatever you know, phrase you want to use there. Um, it was compelling. Everyone was using Taudap. The the Bay Area ran on Taudap um, and uh, the extended Bay Area ran on Taudap as well. Um, and there was a period in 2015 when the business was just really climbing, right? Um, you know, we'd just done the 3X climb. We've done the 3X climb before that. We're on the next 3X climb, right? The business is starting to really take off. And... Uh, there are a couple of uh, what I would call upstarts at that point in time, um, you know, and, and probably the most compelling one at the time was a little company called Outreach because <laughs> um, uh, they were really little, right? At this time, it was five or six employees. And uh, this concept of sequences, right, um, which was, was really about, you know, tying a set of interactions, not just emails, but, you know, making a phone call, and uh, sending a LinkedIn message, sending a connection request, sending a Sendoso campaign, whatever it may be. And I'll never forget, you know, at that moment in time, my immediate instinctual reaction was that's a marketing activity. We're building a sales platform. We should not do that. Uh, that's functionality we shouldn't build. Like uh, connecting things together, no. Salespeople send one-off messages. They should send one-off messages. So just uh, my conviction was so strong on that statement, but obviously that's not what uh, the market wanted, right? At, at that time, SDRs had started to figure out, well, I want to send and connect emails together. And why? Because it's inherently easier, right? So the behavioral change is actually easier because you you send one email and then automatically it goes out again three days later, automatically it goes out again three days later. And they want a fully automated piece, not just for email, but for a phone number, you know, making phone calls and sending LinkedIn messages. And the result was, I mean, we just saw outreach raise their round this past week, right? Over $4 billion valuation. Um, my equity was substantial, very substantial. Um, uh, as you know, the first director into the company at the eighth employee of Taudap, um, my equity is worth zero today. And I remind Manny and Kyle of that point that my equity in Taudap is worth zero today. Um, but the learning was insane uh, from that experience, right? I described it as kind of my startup MBA, that, that moment of watching the customer vote with, you know, what they need, how they actually solve the problem, finding a solution as opposed to just features and functionality. The solution was what they needed, a sequence that included all of their interactions. Um, and philosophically, I thought of that as marketing and that was wrong.
Well, two things. First of all, God bless you for that level of uh, candor. I love that in so many ways. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's awesome. And uh, it's very interesting you said that, uh, man, that, that means that the next few startups, I don't know how many data grail, uh, and we hope to be a customer soon, but you know, the next few startups, if you do uh, one after that, are I anticipate to be extremely successful because you have, you're so honest about that uh, and, and vocal, which I think is really beautiful. And that's where the big learnings are coming from. So anyway, thanks for sharing. Um, that was yeah. cool. Andy, you're next. <laughs> There are two big mistakes that I made. I'm gonna I'm gonna say two of them um, that I'm thinking about in the work that I've done. I mean, many. I mean, it's hard to just sort of narrow it down to these two, but I think these two would be kind of interesting because they're related. So, one was that when I started doing this work, I would accept the work if the CEO wasn't leading it. So like if like, let's say a marketing, someone in marketing reached out to me and said, hey, you know, uh, we uh, love that Zwara post you did about uh, the, you know, the greatest sales deck and that whole framework around crafting the narrative. That's kind of the basis of a new category. Like we we want that. Um, want to talk to you. I'll be leading the work. Our CEO will be involved like he'll be, you know, I would take it. I would take the work and I. A few years ago, I looked like where the where were the really successful projects? Like where, which were the ones where I can see the narrative? Like it really had an impact on the company. It was without a doubt like where the CEO was leading it. And eventually, I decided like I'll only accept it if if the CEO is the one who like calls me and says I want to do this, and and is going to be the one who's like in the trenches with me building it. That's not to say that marketing doesn't have a huge role. And so I always, you know, if I've gotten better at this work, um, maybe figuring out ways to balance the CEO kind of leadership of it with the the team feeling bought in and having a chance to to do it. But but that CEO, but but accepting the work when the CEO wouldn't be the leader, that was a big pro that was a big mistake. Um, because the CEO, it would just sort of shit on it <laughs> eventually, you know, and wouldn't really embrace it as their own. And if that doesn't happen, this thing's going nowhere. Um, I was about to make you drink this. It's but close, because right? You, it's you just said, you just close. said, the it's CEO right would, on the border, right? Is it on right the border? <laughs> and then you said the CEO would shit on it. It was like, ah, oh, man, he, all right. That was like, you, you, you I say it myself. Drink. You yeah, complemented it yeah. with some with some realness. You it's, gotta say, give us an uh, one example in which it was it the the CEO yeah. shed so, on it so, so big. So, yeah, so this one's well, this one's related. Where so when I one one way that I I, I I do this to try to balance those two is I I work with the CEO one on one, but then I have them sort of pitch it to their team, and the team gets to kind of weigh in on what they think and. And we go do this like a bunch of times. Anyway, this one, sometimes like someone on the team is like a real skeptic. Like they, they just hate it. And they really like the old, you know, like they're just, just like so tied to the old way. And one time, this was a, probably about nine months ago, 
I basically got into it <laughs> in a group call with one of the with one of the subordinates of the CEO. Like like I'm basically arguing with him for why this thing is better than the old thing, right? That was the dumbest thing that I possibly could have done because <laughs> um you know, now the CEO now I'm putting the CEO in a position where he's like, do I choose <laughs> you know, it's like, he's always got to choose his own guy, you know, or person, whatever. This happened to be a man. Um, what I, what happened was, um, you know, I don't know if this guy ever fully came on board, but what I realized was that's the CEO's job. That's not my job. Um, I can't be the one to herd the cats. I can only, you know, I can help elicit their feedback. I think I'm really good at, well, sorry, I'll stop myself there, but uh, uh, for, for for lack of- for, Too late, you're gonna have to drink. Too late, okay, I'll drink <laughs> then I'll say it. I might as yeah, well say it So uh, I think I'm, I'm good at facilitating feedback uh, in a way that kind of gets to the issues and so we can understand, but I can't cross the line to uh, comment on that feedback in any kind of judgmental way. That's the CEO's role. And uh, that's something that I've re like a, a kind of like religion that I've had to learn to adopt and has uh, really helped me. That's cool. And I think that's a super interesting insight. Uh, yeah, being the outsider, the consultant, being more the facilitator than, you know, putting your own conviction or opinion on it, then you're just going to alienate it. Uh, yeah, I can do that with the CEO, but I can't right. do it with the CEO's yeah. subordinates. Reports. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I like that. Uh, super insightful, both of you. Let's talk a little bit about category creation. So, Daniel, let's start with you. When you started Data Grill, did you know, first of all, do you feel like you are creating a category? 100%. When you started Data Grail, did you think, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking create a category for sure. Hundred percent. You did. Tell me more. This, this problem, right? Privacy. It impacts every human on the planet. It's a human right, right? Meaning, we as individuals have rights to how companies process our information. And if every human has those rights, then you have to look at the other side of the glass, which is, can companies actually fulfill those rights? Can they provide what you and I expect? And how would they do that? They can't, first of all. So, even though the consumer has the expectation that they will, they cannot. And that's because lovely SaaS software in the beautiful state that it is, and we, we're taking this call on Zoom, right? It's not on Ring Central or on Teams or on Slack or on, uh, I'm forgetting the you know, five others, right? WebEx. Every company runs on technology at this point. And so your information is in all of those platforms. Uh, and I can tell you from a 50 person company to a 50,000 person company, 
there's no business out there that there's one person in the company that can say, okay, I know exactly the systems that exist in my organization that contain Gil's information. And so when you've got a disconnect between what a group of people expect and what a company can provide, there's a massive market opportunity. And this is not a group of people. This is every single human on the planet. So did I know that there was a category of privacy? 100%. Cool. First of all, you have to drink. Definitely throw the sales pitch immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a good one. I didn't use the word datagram, but yes, sir, I'll drink <laughs> for that. That's fine. Uh, it's a good thing. Um, what was the moment, just one moment that you realized I'm not another data privacy helping a consumer because I've heard about others. I'm creating a category. I'm doing it differently. Yeah, I, I think, um, of course, there are, there are others, right? There are other companies going down a path. Um, but I think there's a, there's a discrete learning from what I went through um, in my startup MBA and watching other folks go through their businesses, right? So I've been an executive a few times in startup organizations and large companies like Responses where we were publicly traded. Um, that gives me a picture into what the customer actually wants, which is a solution, not a product. Um, and I think if you actually look at all of the businesses that become category creators, they look towards what is a solution, not what is a platform or a set of features or functionality. Because in reality, like you start a business trying to solve a problem. And I think many, um, many founders will start tinkering on something that's cool, but they won't have figured out actually what the problem is. Um, and we spent a bunch of time doing that before we started the company. So myself, my two co-founders, we did customer development, like How with long? a survey instrument, uh, probably about six months um, with okay. a survey instrument, um, i.e. like a set of questions that was the standard same set of questions. And we recorded those conversations. I asked for consent on the record, of course, um, and went through and, and asked people that I trusted in my network and those that I didn't know in my network. And we did a large number of those. How many? Uh, we probably did 25 by the end. Okay, 25 um, customer service and development. Yeah, um, but here's the other piece that we did to validate at a larger scale to make sure. So I did, uh, I did a, a webinar to get the sample size greater than 100. And so this was definitely a little growth hack, right? So we did a webinar on, you know, how prepared were people for the GDPR? And I did this with, um, with the sales hacker team, actually, with Max Altshuler and, and sales hacker back in 2000 and uh, it's probably beginning of 18. Um, and we asked over a hundred folks, you know, how prepared are you for the GDPR and specific other questions that were tailored towards answering, you know, the assumptions we were trying to validate. Um, and so we got direct responses from over 25 people. And then also this extended survey instrument that, you know, hit over a hundred. Uh, and so at that point I knew, okay, if, if this is the problem set that exists, 
there's a solution that needs to be built here. And yeah, that's, that's when we knew. 25 customized uh, interviews and 100 people survey. Uh, Andrew, how many people, roughly, but also accurately, have you helped create a category, create a narrative so that you can create a category? Uh, so I've helped many, 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 many people create narratives. I'll, I'll guess that the number's in the thousands if you include people that, uh, that have come to my workshops and stuff. If you're just talking about sort of like CEOs, um, probably, probably over 100. Okay. Um, the, 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 some of those narratives, I don't believe the narrative has to be like, I actually don't believe you can create a category who creates a category. It's basically like Gartner decides if there's a, if there's a wave, right? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, the way I like to think about it is really as more like a movement, you know, that there's this, this, this narrative that, uh, that, that a group of people is believing in. And then of course, you know, that gets Gartner to say, oh, there's a new category of solution. You know, category, the, the word itself even comes, it suggests that all that's needed is a kind of name for this, you know, a new taxonomy of, of product, right? Like a new animal. And I think if we look at it, the, the ones, you know, the, the category, the, the narratives I've been involved with that have become most successful, probably the most, the one that I've touched that became most successful was Gong. So, um, I didn't come up with the term revenue intelligence, but the uh, goodbye opinion, the, the opinions to reality shift was uh, from our work. And that, you know, and Amit said to me, you know, I could have, it could have been strawberry intelligence. Like what, what really matters is that narrative that's behind it. And I, the way I think about the narrative is that that old game, new game shift uh, and, uh, that, that is the way we pour the meaning into the category. So, uh, there are lots of other teams I've worked with that are at different stages of, uh, trying to build a narrative. And one team I worked with, it's called, uh, abstract. So they're in the field of designers and they're trying to build a category they're calling design intelligence. That's all about building the, um, infrastructure for designers to communicate around the product. So not just the design, but everything else, like uh, all the feedback around the design, the requirements, finance, you know, basically they talk about the shift for design teams from outputs to outcomes. So mm. now we have to be able to, you know, if it's, if it's that, then we have to be able to communicate with everybody around the design, all that stuff. Um, so lots and lots of narratives, some become categories, some are, I think are successful without uh, you know, the world seeing them as a category. Uh, hopefully that answers your question, Gil. Absolutely. I met, I remember the, the abstract CEO and I was about to ask about Gong, did you talk to Udi or did you talk to Amit? Sounds like Amit was, was the lead. So that must have been after you realized the CEO, <laughs> CEO must, be the, must be the decision maker. From, uh, first of all, fascinating. Uh, I'm interested to know from one to 10, how much do you think you had influence over Gong's demolishing, creating the category and dominating it, the revenue, uh, revenue intelligence category? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll say one, uh, because, you know, the narrative is just the first step. <laughs> I think 
you know, there's there's teams that I work with where where we can build equally as good a narrative, but they don't embrace it the way that that Gong did. And that was really, I mean, it was a meet for sure. It was also Udi, right? Um, so, and for those who don't know, Amit is the CEO and yes, he led that project and he led the work, but Udi played a huge role and, you know, they, they definitely like took it and like its final form wasn't exactly what we came up with it, but you know, the, the core of it was there, but it was really Udi, I think, who, uh, who committed to it. You know, it was like a few months later, I'm, I'm walking in, in the subway station in uh in san francisco and i'm seeing goodbye opinions hello reality like on the on the the poles and on the floor yeah i think it was when dreamforce was happening it was all plastered with that i'm seeing cars uh all around, driving around san francisco with goodbye opinions hello reality on them uh you know they just and 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 you know what amit told me is that that story is not only what they used to sell but it's also the filter they use even for developing new products. So like he says, they'll, they'll get all these feature requests that are basically about tracking opinions <laughs> and they have, they say no to those. So they'll only say to the ones that are, Hey, is this getting us more to a, a view of reality? And you know, it, it's a simple high level filter that I'm sure, I'm sure they have more complicated discussions than that. But in a way, it's the simplicity of it that makes it work. Super interesting. Um, so execution. So you're humbly giving yourself one out of ten. If I was to ask, uh, just give me a number. If I was to ask Amit or Udi, what's your level of uh, impact on the on their category creation? What do you think their number would be? Um, I don't know. It's that's up to them. You'd have to ask them. But and Amit <laughs> is a very Amit is a very proud man. So. We and we we have we there, there was like this philosophical difference. I, I have him on my podcast coming up soon, so he'll talk about it. Um, but I think he would say their story is inspired by our work together, but he would take credit for the for the story. That's maybe, maybe you already did. Udi was on the podcast. Uh, very cool. <laughs> I, I think that's super interesting. I know that you're and you know, I just be full in transparency. Many, some of, well, many, I have two people. Many of my marketing team members really like your, uh, your narrative, your, the, the storytelling framework that you have, Andy. I think it's interesting. Uh, how much do you think, and that's for both of you, Daniel and Andy, how much do you think storytelling, if you had a hundred coins using a legacy, term because who is using coins but if you had 100 coins and you had to drop it into category creation how many of them do you think fit into storytelling and narrative versus everything else i i give my two cents i i think half i think the so i'll give you a couple of examples why um Last year, the beginning of last year, um, I got on a call uh, with a gentleman from Levi's, Steve. Um, he's now their, their interim CISO, so their chief information security officer. And I'll never forget the conversation because uh, my co-founder and I got on the call. And, uh, you know, we, we had heard this concept that we just 
that drew us in, right? Which was this concept of like continuous compliance, right? Or sustained compliance. So, so the forester analysts that we were working with used this concept of sustained compliance around privacy. And so we latched onto continuous because that just sounds like, you know, it implies all regulations going forward, um, you'll be continuously compliant. And so we get on the call with Steve and, you know, we've got our, our narrative, our story. And we start going through the message and we said, so Steve, you know, DataGray will, will help you with continuous compliance. And uh, about five minutes in, he said, okay, this is great, Daniel, but uh, how does it help me sell more jeans? And I sort of paused, I was like, well, thinking, you know, on the spot, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know, Steve, uh, if you're compliant, maybe you can, that helps you get more genes. I, I, I had nothing, right? Like literally that moment of like, you know, I've been there before as founders, you kind of, you, you've been in the position of no response, right? You have nothing. Uh, I had nothing. I got off the call and I looked at my co-founder. I'm like, yeah, we definitely bombed that call. Uh, <laughs> it's like nothing there, right? Um, and, you know, he, his response back to me was like, look, we're Levi's. We don't care. We just pay the fines from a publicly traded company. But uh, so that got me sort of thinking, right, of like, how does this work? Like, what is the bigger, what is the bigger narrative that's actually happening here? Um, and it's actually about trust. Right. And so like without going to into a pitch and without getting caught to, to drink wine, what I'd share there is like that narrative has changed to now we're talking about a much higher level business objective. Um, and now we can latch on to something that is in someone's 10K. Right. Because trust, the three of us don't trust companies that we work with. Right. Trust permeates through. Uh, governments, businesses, all parts of our society at this point, uh, particularly businesses. And so that's a much bigger business sort of objective. And so as a result, you know, now we're talking about risk. And so, you know, the number one thing that the, the folks at Levi's can't afford is to be on the front page of the New York Times. So Daniel, is it fair to say that you learned the reason you say 50% or 50 cents, or they say two cents, but 50, 50 coins is because that question prompts you to have, always have an answer. Why, you know, what's, the, what's the major reason? Have a word, have an answer, have a response. Why do they care? Trust is, is that word. And that is- the, For data grail. For you, case, for yeah. data grail, yeah. that's, that's your yeah. narrative. Yeah, and, and I think, like how was that permeated through the company? You can see it on our website. You can see it on our materials. You can see it in my description of what we do. You can see it everywhere. Has it changed the business? 180. It did. Okay. Are you working with Andy on strategic, strategic narrative? <laughs> no. Uh, we could be. Although but, I... So it's really I expensive saw... though. I think it's like $1,000 per hour, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I saw Daniel and... Um... And one of his colleagues, Mallory, uh, I first met them. I didn't know them. I saw them in their booth at Saster. I think it was 2019. It was. And I was going around looking like, who's pitching a story to me? Versus, you know, who's just saying, oh, we're a blubbity about platform and we do this, <laughs> this, this. 
and uh, and they were I, I wrote a piece about it, and they were one of the very few that I kind of highlighted in the piece who are already doing that. I, I don't think they had this full thing around trust sort of fully baked yeah. yet at that point, no, but but there was something there that I could see um, already. Thank you, Eddie. I I think you know, Gil. The part of that is from. Um, it's the customer, right? So Mallory, the person that Andy is describing, was our director of customer success, right? She was our first employee. And I think it's like extracting the insights from the customer drives that, right? It's, it's very easy to go down the sales path of just like, great, we've just got to, you know, deliver the message that works and deliver it to as many people as possible. But if you extract the insights from, from the customer who's actually... Uh, you know, sharing how your solution solves their problem, which is why we had Mallory Surplus uh, attend Saster because she was working with our customers. She's actually a better salesperson. Would you say uh, that, it, that is very interesting, especially when you say it's your first hire, customer success, that's awesome. Um, Andy, would you say it's, it's fair to say that you should always rely on the customer to tell you how to talk about yourself? Talking to the customer is always part of every engagement I do with, with CEOs. So, you know, ideally, we don't want to be educating the customer. Like Daniel's doesn't not educating them about trust. He's kind of making sense of something they're already seeing. So we want to hear it from them. Um, that said, they don't always have the kind of high level perspective to put it, you know, part of what we're doing is we're trying to boil it down in a way that maybe in a such a, in a simple way that they never thought to put it. Um, so they say, yes, that's right. It's almost like that Chris Voss thing where he's always talking about get, getting to that's right. Uh, that's what we're looking to do with this narrative. Right. And what I'll say is, you know, Daniel said he started his company because he was, you know, saw a problem and then was, you know, found a solution for it. And that's, I think, very common. But I think when we get to the point of the narrative, this thing about trust, like this isn't really a problem necessarily. It's, you know, it causes problems, but it really, in fact, it is, it's the cause of the problem. So if you think about it, Dan, we we talk about, hey, what is your problem? And let me, t I'll give you the solution for it. Let me tell you why it's better than the other solutions. That's the typical sort of positioning pitch thing, right? And what Daniel is now starting to do, which is, I think, the way the what I see is like, this is the way, is what's the story in the world that's causing those problems? So what is the shift that people are making? Uh, you know, in his case, it sounds like, you know, used to be trust was a, maybe a nice to, I'm, I'm just, I'm not putting in the formal words, but yeah, trust right. was like a nice to have. Now it's like customers expect this, right? And your customer expects this. This is a different world for you. And this brings up all kinds of, you know, new, new things you'll have to solve. So that, um, that narrative, yes, we want to get that from customers because we want to be, be, be feeling pretty sure that when we say it to them, when we say it to new prospects, we're kind of saying something that, that you know, comes kind of from their mouths or mouths of people like them. And Andy, especially because we have two minutes before we, we lose you, if you had one advice to founders and CEOs 
who should be taking the category creation and the strategic narrative under their belt. What is one advice you have for them for kind of separating the signal from the noise and dumbing down or, or simpling or abstracting the, the, the message for, from something very complicated to something super simple that, that talks to a, to a bigger story? You know, just think about the structure of this story as old game, new game. So there was an old game. So think about uh, Take Gong, uh, where opinions, that was a great game. Like that was the way to win in sales. You play that opinion game and you, were, you could be a great salesperson. And they're saying, hey, there's a new game now. It's made possible by this new technology and by you know, the demands and whatever, competition where you're going to have you're going to have a view of reality and that's the new winning game. And so if you can really boil this down to old game new game, doesn't have to be goodbye hello, it could be other other formulations of that. But and name them, not just hey there's an old game and a new game, but name them the way they have and Zwara did with transactions, subscriptions, uh the way uh Salesforce did. I think Salesforce is the archetypical thing. Software and the cloud, right? Old game software, new game cloud. What's the old game? What's the new game? If you get that, that's the, and of course it's not easy, but uh, if we can get ones that feel right, that's really the, the foundation of the whole narrative and really, in my opinion, the whole category. Beautiful. Thank you, Andrew. I know you have to leave, so Thank you very much for leaving us with, with this uh, great talking and great seeing you again, Daniel. Congratulations Indeed. on all your success since we saw Thank each you, other Eddie. at Saster. Indeed. Thank Talk you, soon. Andy. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Daniel, that was awesome. Thank you for a great his, uh, his insights are great, huh? They are. They they are very good. Uh, it's funny, my team is what you just said in the last few minutes is exactly what they what they're trying to do the whole old game new game is like a, it's his mm -hmm. it's andy andy raskin's uh strategy uh how'd you like the yeah. podcast that's great i think um i can see why you're doing this it's like one you you get you know exec connects at the the highest level which is smart right um but also like you know you're you're learning a bunch in the process i'm sure i really am right? i like, am i really it, am learning a lot from it you wouldn't believe it, it. yeah it's um you know, I'd say that uh, uh, connecting with peers is so powerful, right? Like just beyond powerful. I, uh, I I try to do it all the time. I encourage our execs to do it. Just like reach out to someone else who's doing the same job as you, because like why not? Like we're we're capped by the the knowledge inside the four walls of the building that you're in, right? Like that's that's the reality. So like, if you can reach out to, let's say you're a VP of marketing, you can reach out to five VPs of marketing like you and ask them, what are they challenged with? Okay, how did they find solutions for those challenges? Like, oh man, you accelerate your learning 50 Absolutely, I completely agree. You know, Olivier at one point told me, maybe it was like a year, a year and a half ago, he told me like, yeah. really, you should, you should connect more CEOs, like spend more time with other CEOs and... I think mm -hmm. it, he was 100% right. Uh, oh, yeah. First of all, you yeah. know, truly, it's therapeutic. I, I think. It, it's, yeah, it is fun, too. It's, just, like, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's more than fun. It's like, shit, you've been dealing with the same problem. Like, it's really nice to hear. It's, how you it's lonely, that. man. It's really lonely. It is. Like, it is. It is yeah. really. 
So I, I completely agree with what you said. And then it also helps you work on the business and not in the business. Yes, uh, yes. Which is where, yeah, yeah. Where, we, where we get, you know. Magic happens. Through. Magic happens. Daniel, you're, you're very kind. I love that. I love your energy. I really enjoy it. This is part of the podcast, by the way. I'm going to definitely keep that recording and, uh, yeah. and, and yeah, tell yeah. it to anyone because I think that's one of the beautiful things about founder and CEOs. Uh, you, you just say the way it is and you're willing to share it uh, and be, you know, be vulnerable. The way you shared about uh, outreach, I think it's beautiful. I really did. I really appreciate it. So I, I, I you know, I think... Um... Look, like we're all learning at this, right? Um, I was giving someone Absolutely. some advice yesterday. I was like, look, uh, uh, <laughs> if, if a CEO says to you they know exactly what they're doing, they're 100% lying, Bullshit. right? They're doing, it, they're doing it for the- Even for the fifth for the time. time. Yeah, still, Even if they do it for the fifth time. Every, yeah. Yes, there's still learnings every single time. So like the idea that you're an expert at what you're doing is like, that's silly, right? That's really silly. You, you know- you're making mistakes. The thing is, how do you make them as fast as possible and reduce the risk so that you mitigate most of the downside, right? Like most of what we do is just risk mitigation, like the whole time, like you do testing and you just figure out how can you test while also like reducing risk, right? Like, dying. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Well, cool. it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed uh, having you. Thank you very much for your wisdom and sharing it. Um, Cheers. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. You too. You should get a, you should get a metadata. Uh, I should glass. get a metadata. You know, I have upgraded. I used to drink from these kind of mugs and the team told me like, Gil, this looks really oh, ghetto. Yeah. Like, please, please stop with that. So I stopped uh, and this is like an upgrade, right. but I will, I will, yeah, yeah. I will like, go to the look, next it, stage. It's, it's, it's cheap. You just, you know, <laughs> I should do it. Daniel, have a wonderful weekend. Great seeing you. You too, mate. Yeah. Thank you, sir. See ya. Bye. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 